Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Triple Play podcast. That's right, we got a second episode because we're independent and can't get canceled, thankfully. Um, but as always, we got more baseball to talk about. We're about a week into the season, and it's 2020, so we we have plenty of weird, wacky, and just insane stuff to talk about. So we're going to get into all of it in due time. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Wyatt Street. And as always, I am joined by guys. Introduce yourselves. Josh Strickland. And Bradley Kendall. Happy to be back. Yes. Uh, how are you guys doing, by the way? I'm doing pretty well. I'm just happy to be back on the show. Thought for sure I would get kicked off last week, but it's all all good now. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder, Josh. Why? Thanks for inviting me back. I guess I didn't <laughs> screw up uh, too too majorly. Um, it's kind of hard to screw up predictions, but hey, I appreciate you letting me back. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Hey, we, we, we warn people in the description, predictions are often wrong, so you know what you're getting again, into here. And again, it's a good thing our predictions are wrong because we all picked the favorites. So that means this baseball season is going to end very well. Hopefully. <laughs> That's could. the plan. And uh, it's already shaping up to – even last week, knowing how the season structure was supposed to be, we already knew this was going to be one of the most unique and weirdest baseball seasons we've ever seen in the 151-year history of Major League Baseball. And after just over a week, it's already shaping up to somehow be even weirder. Uh, and we have coronavirus to thank for that, or I guess thank might not be the proper word here, but regardless, uh, the Miami Marlins, they had a massive, and when I say massive, I'm talking like the majority of their team, coronavirus outbreak that had 20 positives over the uh, course of this past week. Uh, that was about 18 players and two coaches slash staff members. And uh, the Cardinals just recently this past weekend have seen about four or so cases themselves. Uh, I believe the Phillies also had a, a coach. Uh, if I don't remember if it was a false positive or what. But regardless, uh, because of this outbreak on the Marlins, we've seen multiple games being called off and or postponed uh, because of teams like the Phillies having recently played them and then moving on to play their next games in uh, New York against the Yankees. So those teams were in jeopardy, so they had to call, call off their games. Uh, this affected the Orioles, Nationals, Blue Jays, and Brewers as well. The Brewers impacted uh, with the Cardinals series. So multiple things uh, being sh uh, changed here. Um, games getting rescheduled because teams had to get tested and quarantined and make sure that they're okay. The Marlins are still up in the air. We don't know when or if they'll be able to get back on the field. Um, guys, just your initial thoughts on this whole fiasco, I guess we'll call it, and, and how this is going to be impacting this season as we'll get into that here in a second. Uh, it just kind of all happened really fast. I remember I was actually editing last week's episode of the podcast and all of this stuff started coming out. And Wyatt, you and I, we live right across the hall from each other. I literally went up to you and was like, is this going to be the only podcast episode I have to edit? <laughs> so uh, yeah. everything just happened like super fast. And it's just crazy. Uh, I mean, it's it's just like what happened in the NBA when Rudy Gobert tested positive. I mean, it affects so many teams in a very short period of time. So a lot of stuff has to go down. And it's just a whole mess right now. Yeah, and I think it is a little bizarre that, you know, again, it was it was very quick, and I think everyone kind of knew this was going to happen at some point, but we didn't know how quickly it would really unravel. I think everyone, like you said, Josh, with the Rudy Gobert incident, was just so thrown off. It almost seemed like no one knew that anybody could get COVID once the season started, as if everyone was somehow immune to it. So uh, I wasn't really shocked this happened. I was shocked at the, the quantity of it, for sure, and I think the Marlins only really have themselves to blame. Uh, for what we've heard might have been just a lack of uh, self-awareness in terms of keeping themselves protected. Uh, but I think MLB in general is starting to regret potentially not going to that bubble idea that the NBA has done. Because uh, if you look at sports as a whole right now, every other sport seems to have this under control for the most part outside the MLB. So I think from a, from a grand scheme of things, this is really on the MLB's um, part. And this is really just a testament to how probably poorly they really foresaw this coming. And I'm interested to see how they handle this going forward because there's a lot at stake here. Yeah, and Bradley, I, I think it's uh, I, interesting how you brought up the, the bubble as well, um, because if you look at, when we're talking about sports are back, and we look at all the sports that have come back, baseball here in America is the only one that hasn't gone with the bubble concept. The NBA's got their bubble, the WNBA has a bubble, or is the, the wobble, as it's being uh, called, 
um, MLS with their with their MLS's back tournament ran a bubble. The NWSL is running a bubble. Um, the NHL is running a, a two-site bubble in Canada, and none of them have had positive cases, right? They've they aside from a couple of players in the NBA <laughs> leaving the bubble and having the quarantine. We haven't really seen any issues with any of those sports, but here in the MLB, we've seen almost an entire team catch the catch COVID. We've seen multiple teams now impacted in some way, shape, or form with this, and and I think you're right there. It's it's going to be interesting to see how this goes forward. And I know that back when the season was still being talked about, as getting back into it, there were a lot of ideas that were thrown about. Some people wondering, you know, did they go with bubbles? There were some proposals I've seen where like. They might do a grapefruit and cactus league split in Arizona and Florida or like kind of go with the geographical locations we're seeing now where there'd be a three-site thing in uh, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. But they decided not to go with that, and I can't blame the MLB for wanting to try to, to play in their in their home stadiums. But it does make you wonder, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. should they have tried a bubble concept? And it, it's kind of woulda, shoulda, coulda at this point. But regardless, we're seeing a huge ripple effect now. Dominoes are falling because now teams are having to miss games and they're going to have to try to make these games up. And we're now seeing, too, with all this happening, more players are starting to opt out. Before the season, we saw a a few big names decide to sit out this season. And now uh, we've seen notably uh, Lorenzo Cain for the Brewers has decided to opt out of the season and the same for uh, the in, uh, an infielder for the Marlins, Isan Diaz. And actually today, uh, <laughs> the big Yoenis Cespedes fiasco in New York happened. He's opted out of the season. So we're starting to see more and more players take that step back for uh, whatever reason, um, whether it's their personal safety or the safety of their families. Um, we're starting to see more and more players. And I think any player who decides to take that step back no one should be uh, saying anything negative about them given these circumstances. And maybe that's just me, but, uh, you know, I think that everybody's well within their right there, and we can't blame them for choosing their safety, especially after we've seen what's happened in Miami. Uh, I mean, you're right. I mean, definitely these players, they have the full power to opt out at any point, and if they have any, uh, if they have a good reason to opt out, then opt out. I mean, it, it, there's a lot we don't know about COVID-19. We don't know about what the long-term effects are. I've seen some uh, some studies that say that it affects your lungs long term. So as an athlete, that could you know damage you in the long run. So I, I, I understand, and especially, and that's not even bringing in fam potential family members that could that are um, highly susceptible to the virus and, and stuff like that. So I, I don't blame players at all for opting in. Uh, another thing, uh, Nick Markakis uh, opting out. I mean, Nick Markakis opt in back in this past week. And uh, one of the questions that everyone was asking all the Braves players was, are you holding this against Nick's, Nick Markakis for opting out? And all of them were saying, no, of course not. It, it was a, it's, a personal, it's a decision he had to make for himself and his family. Like, nobody's going to blame him for that. So hopefully a lot of MLB players feel the same way. Yeah, and I think if you look at just the you know the overall decision the MLB made to try to be very optimistic with this and really try to put forth a system where they could get it to work, um, you know I don't think it's been a complete failure yet. I don't want to just jump straight on the bandwagon of just saying the MLB completely just absolutely screwed this up. Uh, I think in some ways it has worked, and you know we've been able to get through a week of the season already. And you know yes, we have had a couple teams uh, with definitely some scares and a lot of positive tests, but it's not like it's been a an entire league wide thing yet. So. I say yet very, very carefully because obviously this could transpire very poorly in the next couple of weeks, uh, but it's only really affected just a couple teams so far. So uh, from a scheduling purpose, this has thrown a lot of things off, but I do think, you know, if you, if you put aside the initial decisions Major League Baseball made in terms of how they structured this, I think with the way they've responded uh, so far, it's actually been pretty decently. So I don't want to come down on the MLB entirely, uh, but again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and looking back on it, definitely made some mistakes they would probably have rather avoided. So right, and I think you know one thing that's been great is uh, seeing how quickly they've shut games down because of this. You know, we're seeing it felt like for a few days there at the beginning of the week, every every day there was like, okay, this game's gone, this game is gone, now these two games are gone. And they've already started to put out some 
some rescheduled dates for some of these series. Uh, I think notably with the the uh, Phillies, the Orioles, the Yankees, um, and I think even the Marlins might be scheduled yet. I'm not quite sure on that one, but they uh, the Nationals as well. I'm pretty sure. So they're starting to figure out some of that uh, moving forward, and uh, they're really trying to make sure these guys get tested frequently, especially with these scares happening. So there's there's a lot that's getting done right. There's a lot that's getting done wrong, and it's a very complex issue. Um, because there's so many unknowns, so many variables surrounding this. And uh, one of the big unknowns now moving forward, too, as we start to get back into a baseball side of this, is we're seeing all these games getting postponed, rescheduled. Uh, we don't know if some of them might be able to even get played again. We're seeing with the Marlins scare, now the Cardinals, the potential as we get later into the season and you start to run out of makeup dates. Um, and the scheduling gets harder, if another team has a scare and they have to miss about a week or so of play, we might see some teams not get a full 60 games in. So it's been said that likely what's going to happen if that's the case, if some teams don't get a full 60 in, it's just going to be determined by winning percentage. So some teams might have five less games, some teams might have 10 less games, doesn't matter. Um, It's just going to go by winning percentage, which could drastically impact things, especially now when we have this expanded playoff and there's more teams, more playoff spots, and the seedings uh, are really uh, important here. Um, So what do you guys make of that decision to go with winning percentage perhaps? Uh, Do you think that's a good idea? Or do you think that there's some other idea that they should maybe do? Should, you know, a team maybe get an advantage or a disadvantage even for not being able to play a full 60-game schedule? Well, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, if teams aren't able to play a full 60 games, and it has to be a lot of teams. Like, there's going to be, like, if it's only the Marlins and they're out of the playoff hunt or whatever, then I say don't worry about it. But, of course, it has to be a league-wide thing. Winning percentage makes the most sense, in my opinion, if you have guys that are five games less or five games more, stuff like that. It just makes the most sense because you can't do just traditional win-loss record you just got to go off winning percentage based on how many games they played. The one caveat to that, though, the Marlins, who've only played three games this year, they were the first place team in the NL East for the past five days <laughs> while everyone else was playing games. They're, they're, they're still second in the NL East right now with only three games played because of winning percentage. So uh, it's not a perfect system, but... W- the MLB is going to try to get all these extra games in, whether it be double headers or fixing the schedule around, which is why they're doing the two two divisions facing each other here, like the AL East and the NL East and so on and so forth, because it will be, it's easier to change schedules around. Like, for instance, um, the Yankees and the Orioles started playing each other because they're the teams they were supposed to play. I think the Phillies and the Nationals couldn't play. Those games got postponed. So they basically just flipped the series. So the Yankees started playing the Orioles and then the Phillies will play the Nationals and they'll do a doubleheader to make up those games whenever they decide to play. Yeah, I think if you look at the Marlins right now, if you're a fan, you almost want to root for your team to continue to get sick. I mean, I know that's like (laughs) extremely morbid, but honestly, if you're two and one and you're sitting pretty in second place, maybe not the worst thing in the world to continue not being able to play. I joke, obviously, but um, you know, it is one of those things where it is just kind of just the reality of it that you just kind of have to accept. Um, And with the expanded playoffs, I think what what is good about it is that even if you do have some teams that might be splitting hairs end of the year, you know, one team has 10 less games than the other, at least you can use somewhat of a barometer to say, well, you know, you had 50 games, you had 60 games. We give you so many opportunities to make the playoffs already. You know, if you didn't make it through, you know, 16 teams, I'm sorry, it's just the way it's going to be. So the good thing is, is there are going to be so many teams making the playoffs that hopefully this won't impact too many teams when it's all said and done. Uh, and if there is one team here, one team there that does get in that might, you know, not have gotten in otherwise, it might not matter in the grand scheme of things because you'll have so many teams. So I don't think it's a huge deal. Again, we it's very early. we got a long way to go, but uh, we'll kind of see down the road how that how that impacts it. Yeah, and I think the I think the biggest thing that'll be impacted is probably not which teams get in. It's just the seedings. Honestly, I think that might be the biggest thing that gets impacted. And as you guys know, uh, just as well as I do, once you get into the playoffs, anything goes, especially in baseball, um, because anybody can beat anybody. All it takes is just getting hot at the right time sometimes. So, yeah, I think the winning percentage is probably the easiest, fairest way to do this. And you could see a team that might get a slight advantage because. 
they didn't play as many games, so their winning percentage is slightly better, and it gets them an extra extra seeding purpose. In the grand scheme of things, you know, if you're the team that gets uh, pushed back a seed because of that, you might feel a little hard done. But at the same time, you know, if you've played more games, you also had more opportunities to win games. So it kind of goes both ways. I can see it from both sides there as well. So uh, I think, you know, in a situation like this, it's so difficult to maneuver and manage it. And I think winning percentage is probably the best way to do this. Um, but regardless, we saw with, with all this happening, um, the season for a few days there at the beginning of the week, it was really put in jeopardy, as, especially as we started to see more and more and more positive cases coming out from the Marlins as their numbers continue to just grow. And uh, we're seeing this, we saw the scares, you know, with the Phillies getting tested and everything. Um, and the se- season still is in jeopardy when you really look at it uh, because the Marlins still aren't even cleared. And now we're starting to see the Cardinals catch up as well. Um, but the networks were told at one point to even have alternate programming ready for this coming week just in case the season got shut down. Um, and Manfred had even said that uh, – Commissioner Rob Manfred had even said at one point that baseball needs to do a better job of managing the virus or the season might have to shut down. Uh, but he did uh, later tell uh, uh, news as well, quote, we are playing. And he said, however, though, the players need to be better, but I am not a quitter in general, and there is no reason to quit now. And guys, there's a lot to unpack with all of these comments from Commissioner Manfred. Um, and as we were kind of talking before we uh, started this this recording, um, we have thoughts. So guys, and uh, let's let's flip it up here. Let's let's start with you this time, Bradley. Uh, what what do you make? Of, of Manfred's comments uh, on all of this. Well, first off, I think Rob Manfred is easily the worst commissioner in all of sports. That's that's for one thing, and that's only being exemplified even greater with these last couple months. But I, I do think it is extremely ironic that his comments, uh, when they came and what they were initially, I think it was right after the Marlins had this whole incident and all these you know rumors were coming out about um, them just being very careless. It is kind of interesting that he phrased it like, uh, basically saying we need to be better, but it's not really up to me. It's up to the players. And he basically said, like, you know, the only reason that baseball will continue to be played is if uh, these cases are limited and if, you know, the system in place starts working better. Well, it's, it's kind of your system. Like, you were the one that put it in place. You're the commissioner. That should be up to you whether the season continues or not or how it goes going forward. So it seems like he's trying to not take the blame for any of this and putting a lot of the blame single-handedly on the teams and players, which – I guess is a little bit justifiable, but at the same time, when you're the one running the show, it is kind of ironic that you're not putting the blame at all on yourself. Um, so I, I don't think he's done a great job of this at all. Um, again, I, I do think in the way that he's responded from a day-to-day standpoint, it's been a little bit better, um, but it has seemed very much like they didn't foresee any of this happening this early. So they might have thought they could buy time to start thinking of more ideas before this all transpired. So uh, I don't think it was handled very efficiently at all. And I, I think looking back on it, uh, this only made him look worse as a as a commissioner, which he already was not in a really good spot uh, from the from the players and people's perspective. And this is only going to get worse. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the situation right now is just being very, very poorly run at the moment. I mean, you have a whole team. Basically, 18 players on the Marlins tested positive. And uh, then you you had that story where the Marlins, they found out some of the players tested positive and they had a text meeting. They didn't even have an in-person meeting. They had a meeting over, uh, they had a group text saying, should we play today's game? And they decided yes to play that game, even though they had teammates test positive for it just that day like that same day so i mean it's very it's just the wild west pretty much i mean the mlb they impose all these all these rules and all these expectations but really there's no one enforcing these if you watch the whole first week uh all of opening week you saw the teams they were high-fiving you're not supposed to do that you had spitting you're not supposed to do that uh players in the dugout were supposed to be socially distanced and if if there's no more room in the dugout they're supposed to go out into the stands and just sit out there no teams really followed that until after the marlins got popped with all these positive cases so nobody was really enforcing these rules so manfred here saying that the players need to be better when they're not even enforcing the rules that they put in place which i think is asinine 
Um, so I, it's just very, it's just very poorly run at this moment in time and him trying to blame the players, which yes, some of the fault is on the players and the teams for not following these protocols, but they're not being enforced. Nobody's getting punished. So uh, you're not going to follow rules that don't get enforced. I mean, it's like jaywalking across the street. Unless you get arrested for it, you're going to keep doing it pretty much. Um, but uh, when it comes to the season, I think at this point they're going to complete the season. I mean, if a whole team can basically test positive for COVID and we're still playing, um, I think they're hell-bent on finishing the season. So I think the season will be f- finished unless there is a massive outbreak amongst the entire league and just team players are just opting out of left and right. Uh, so I think we're going to continue with it. We're going to keep going with this grand experiment that we have. Yeah, and – Josh, I think I think both of you guys, you're you're incredibly right here about Manfred, and um, I think for me, and, and I'm looking at this too from like a PR perspective, because like that's what I want to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a I want to go in the PR and stuff, and like I look at it from from that perspective, and I just I find it so hilarious um, for Rob Manfred to to say something like. Oh, um, you know, the players need to be better. He's putting all of the blame here on the players. And as a leader, right, you're, you're the commissioner of baseball, which means you're the leader of baseball. A leader, a good leader, does not throw others under the bus. He does not put others down, you know. And while he's not entirely wrong in saying the players need to be better because – Clearly, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of instances here where players have not been doing what they need to 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 the fullest extent. There have been a lot of players being reckless, and that likely is why we saw what we saw with the Marlins. However, it would have been you know, and it would have been one thing if he said, "Oh, hey, uh, maybe we all need to be better, or we can all do something better." But no, he just put all the blame on the players, and it's like he's just trying to shuffle all of this away from himself which really only makes him look worse, especially especially after everything we've seen over the past month with the labor talks, trying to get this season up and running in the first place, even going all the way back to, to the Astros scandal and how that was handled. We're really seeing, and I, and I, th- I agree with you completely, Bradley, in your assumption that Manfred has really shown over the course of this entire year, this entire calendar year, why there's a legitimate case that he might be the worst commissioner of the four major American sports, even worse than Roger Goodell, which I think is a damning statement because we, I I don't know if there's a single person in sports who thinks Roger Goodell is good at his job. So, and and I think that's sad when you say you you look at a guy who's in charge of baseball and you're putting him in that same category and and maybe even arguing that he's worse. Um, And, and to me, the, the worst thing from that standpoint was saying baseball needs to do a better job of managing the virus or the season might shut down. Like, sir, you're the one who's in charge of baseball, which means you're in charge of how baseball handles this virus. You literally just said that you need to do a better job without even saying it because you cannot take responsibility for yourself and your actions. He just cannot do it. And that is not something you need from any kind of leader, especially not someone who's in charge of an entire professional sports league. Yeah, that's where I thought it was extremely ironic. I mean, it literally sounds like he was coming down on himself when in reality he was trying to portray it onto baseball as in the teams and players. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of the division right now is there's basically three different levels of of, uh, of you know divisions right now. You got MLB as a whole, Rob Manfred and a bunch of his guys that are running the show from a league's perspective, you got the teams and then you got the players. And there seems to be a very, very strong division between all three, especially between MLB and everybody else. And I think that is where you're you're starting to see a lot of players just start to question, you know, is this even worth it anymore? It's only 60 games. You know, guys like Lorenzo Kane have had very successful careers, don't really need this season. Um, and it's unfortunate. I think I think that alone is just one of the most unfortunate sides of this is that you were given such a grand opportunity to make an, make an example out of yourself. And as one of the biggest sports, you know, in the country, maybe in the world, you know, you're making yourself look foolish. When you get outdone by the KBO, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and no disrespect to the KBO. But, and, and, and I think, and this is something I saw pointed out by somebody, I think on Twitter at one point as well, and it's completely fair and right. You know, this, in, this lengthy labor dispute we saw over the course of the summer trying to get the season back in, up and running, it delayed everything by 
a good month, month and a half, probably, that took away potentially another 40 to 50 games that could have been played in this season. And at that time, no other sports in America were really back. They MLB had an opportunity to be the first one back, aside from maybe like NASCAR, which, let's face it, baseball was going to outdo NASCAR in the ratings. Let's be real here. So they really would have had no legitimate competition. And instead, all of this gets pushed back, and now they were having to compete with now they're having to compete with the NBA, NHL, WNBA. Uh, the, the MLS was back. The MLS is back tournament. Even you know, diehard soccer fans who are out there watching the NWSL, and, and now all pretty much all the sports are back. And now, baseball had an opportunity to really monopolize the market there for a good solid month, month and a half, and they dropped the ball completely. And a lot of that, you know, goes to Rob Manfred. And then we're seeing all of this, even back to the way that he handled the Astros scandal. And we'll get into a little bit of that here in a few moments. But I just – the amount of times that Manfred has dropped the ball this year as commissioner, the 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 error column in the score sheet would be just lit up. Yeah, and it's also interesting you point that out in terms of just the, the gap in – uh, time that they had from when the labor disputes were going on to when the season actually started was close to you know 40 games worth potentially that's also a time that they could have bought to you know implement more breaks in the schedule so they could you know throw in some games in there that they had to make up and now they're having to kind of treat it like a sprint instead of a marathon like baseball has always been and having to do things like implementing a seven you know seven inning double header slate so i think in terms of just the season in general they have not only dropped the ball in terms of uh, how they operate the season, but now going forward, it, they're trying to cram it in when in reality they had so much additional time to work with. So uh, baseball in general was already suffering as it was, and I think in, in ways that they've tried and have succeeded in some areas and you know making it a little bit better for the fans, but overall it's it's more of a headache than anything trying to keep up with it that i mean to be quite honest with you that's why it's been kind of difficult to keep up with baseball the last week is the games have been okay but baseball in general is just really suffering and a lot of that has to do with the fact that other sports also came back this week i mean the nba came back thursday they started off with two fantastic games like you had the lakers clippers thursday night which that's a huge matchup in the nba and then you had nhl come back which i know nhl is nowhere near as popular as baseball or basketball is but yeah, the NHL came back uh, last night or two nights ago, Friday night, I believe. Uh, so a lot of these other sports, like Wyatt said, are coming back now. So baseball is just kind of back to where it usually is around this time of year, where it's just kind of in the background to like the NBA playoffs or the NHL playoffs. It's just kind of in the background now. And um, that could have really, they could have really used the boost that they could have gotten if we started the season a month ago. So, uh, but another thing you guys got to keep in mind is the collective bargaining agreement is coming up in baseball. And that was a huge, huge issue in the uh, player talks about money and stuff. So now MLB can use this as an example to kind of screw the players out of some things that they asked for. Cause they're just like, well, we gave you a season last year and you kind of ruined it by everyone testing positive for COVID because it was all the players fault, according to Rob Manfred. So there's some other, there's some ulterior motives to this kind of talk that Rob yeah, Manfred's and, got going on. You know, I noticed, it, and I and I worry because this, I think that's going to lead to to an, uh, there's going to be another strike. I think we can all already see that coming because of the, the disparity, as you mentioned, Bradley, the kind of levels as you mentioned here, and the divides that there are between them, especially the rifts that we've seen just completely dug this 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 uh, summer, and. Yeah, the, the, it's going to be even worse, I think, because as we've seen, you know, Manfred saying supposedly this is all the players' fault because he has done nothing wrong in his own eyes. Um, you know, all of this is going to try to be used against the players. And the players, and I think it's really, really kind of cool, actually, we're starting to see them step up more and more and more and find their voices and fight back for themselves and say no. You know, when we see, when we see BS, we're now going to start to call you out on it, Rob. And... And I kind of applaud them for that. And I know that there are some fans who don't like that. I've seen, especially in the labor talks, you know, fans calling players selfish for holding out, for, for arguing for more money or whatever. And, like, you know, this and that. And, like, could the players have handled things better? Yeah, I'm sure they could have. Nobody was completely in the right. But 
what we saw though was so much more done wrong on Manfred and the MLB side of things as well because the ulterior motives as you mentioned Josh it almost seemed like they were playing trying to play some chess and plan a few moves ahead to those CBA talks where they could try to see how can we plan it out this year to gain as much leverage as we can for those negotiations next year. Yeah, and it's interesting when you look at Manfred's comments. I mean, it's almost like he's trying to take away the blame off himself, like I said, but it's almost like he's saying, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, but but the, the follow-up question to that is, well, have you done anything right? And there, there's a huge difference. I mean, you, you can argue all you want about how this wasn't your fault, that wasn't your fault, how you shouldn't be taking the blame for this, but are you then turning around and then implementing something good for the league and that's good and helpful for the players? And, and I think that's where there's people are just losing him right now is – you know, you can argue all day that things have been done better in the past or should be done better in the future. But if they're not being done now, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's very much a sense of what have you done for me lately. And lately, as I mentioned, with this this entire calendar year from the beginning of all of this with the Astro stuff through the labor talks to now, there's been so much um, that has been done wrong so many things that have caused rifts and divides and it's been really ugly and really messy and this entire year has been a major just nasty black eye on the sport of baseball on major league baseball as as an organization and it's going to take time to heal and the unfortunate thing about that is baseball didn't really need a black eye that they needed time to heal for they really just needed to go ahead and start taking steps forward to try to appeal to the audiences and, and gain new fans and get new faces into the ballparks once once faces are allowed to be in ballparks again. And they dropped so many balls, missed so many good opportunities to try to use this for that, to try to maybe find a way to make this work for that. And instead, they probably drove people away. And that's what's really sad about all of this is – when you see the players trying to do what they can to grow the game, because I would argue the players independently themselves have done more to grow baseball in the past couple of seasons than Rob Manfred and the higher-ups of Major League Baseball have in the last 10 years. And if you guys feel differently, then please go ahead and say so, but that's just that's just my take on it. Yeah, I don't feel any different at all, Wyatt. I'm completely in agreement with you. And uh, it's really sad when we were at a point again in baseball where the difficulties are – very evident in trying to gain new fans and appeal to the people that don't normally follow baseball. And now you're at a point now where you're risking the fans that have followed baseball in the past. And I know this is a weird season and you would expect things to hopefully return normal in the future. But when you're already jeopardizing, you know, the, the players and also the people that love the sport and you're driving them away. I mean, baseball is only going to get worse from this, which like you said, so much was dropped and such an opportunity was at stake. Yeah, they've completely dropped the ball with it. Because one of the big things, like at the beginning of all of this, when when near the 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 players league, the MLB the show players league, and that stuff that that they did, you know, that was a perfect way to like try to appeal to younger audiences and capitalize on baseball and this you know quarantine stay at home uh, situation that we were all living through. This was a way to kind of utilize that to try to grow the sport. And the players did everything they could with that. And I feel like Major League Baseball could have really capitalized that on that and done so much more with stuff like that. And instead of trying to work with the players, as I've seen so many players, you know, Trevor Bauer comes to mind, as critical as he is and as vocal as he is, he's also been willing to say, like, hey, Rob, I want to talk anytime you want to talk. He said that before. And, you know, the players, for the most part, I think they are doing what they can to try to work with baseball to make this happen. And it's almost like Rob Manfred and baseball are just unwilling to have that partnership for whatever reason. And it just blows my mind. In my opinion, it seems like the MLB is just, it just has multiple personalities, honestly. Because sometimes you like go on Twitter, just go on social media, and they're, they're knocking it out of the park on social media. Uh, pretty much, you know, promoting younger players, like their, their commercials leading into this uh, shortened season. Well, their commercials before the shortened before the season officially got canceled were fantastic. Their commercials going into the shortened season were fantastic. This whole uh, promoting the younger players and stuff like that—it's really working. Like they made really good commercials and stuff like that. Really good social media videos. Most teams have a fantastic social media presence. They either run, they're all, yeah. all usually pretty hilarious with their clapbacks or with just general like just 
posting gifts and stuff and and pictures funny pictures and stuff like that uh most of these social media channels are fantastic then you get into the actual rule the actual policies and stuff like that that mlb does like for instance mlb tv blackouts like you can't watch your own team if you pay 160 dollars for mlb.tv um stuff like that and then mlb also has a very strict they they have a very strict grasp on other people using their highlights they are very against other people using highlights and i remember this was a huge issue last year when when john boy got started his rise to fame there uh, a lot of his videos were starting to get taken down because mlb was not okay with him using highlights for whatever reason like his videos were hilarious and they were super popular but the mlb just didn't want any part of that for some reason they've gotten a, they got a lot better when it came to john boy but they're still very against it most of the time and it's just stuff like that where where it seemed like they were going in the right direction but then they take five steps back and we're back in the stone age for some yeah, reason it, it almost seems like they just keep going in circles that's a vicious cycle where every step forward they take a step or two back and it, it's really unfortunate and you know i've been teasing this uh, I, you know we can go ahead and move on here now to the next topic because i've been teasing this for a few minutes here with all of this and this astros fiasco um which kind of quieted down a little bit with the season getting uh postponed and, and pushed back with everything that happened but you know we go back to the way the astros uh scandal was handled and uh, the punishments that were doled out were deemed incredibly lax and not seen, uh, sufficient enough by pretty much everyone except for the Astros. And, um, you know, there was a sense going into the season when it was supposed to still be on, on, on time and originally scheduled that uh, there was going to be a lot of heat and a lot of tensions, especially, uh, you know, players that might be um, throwing inside a lot to the Astros, maybe even so inside that the balls hit the Astros' batters, and there was some sense with the season getting pushed back to this point that maybe this wouldn't happen as much, and then baseball coming on hard saying, you know, hey guys, more than ever with social distancing, let's not bench clear the benches this year. Um, let's 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 not do that. Let's avoid that at all costs, guys. Um, Joe Kelly said, nah, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> as we saw this past week. He uh, had a 3-0 count on Alex Bregman uh, when the Dodgers were playing the Astros and sailed a pitch behind Bregman's head. And Bregman got the free pass, didn't hit him. Um, and then later in the game, Correa, uh, Carlos Correa also had some inside pitches from Joe Kelly. And uh, this uh, brushing, brushing him back still did not hit Correa and struck Correa out, presumably the mind games, because really fast baseball's coming at you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to throw you off. Um, and this led to Joe Kelly making pouty faces at Correa as they were exchanging words. The benches were cleared, uh, and Joe Kelly has been suspended eight games for all of this. And, and Major League Baseball cited uh, his past of throwing at players, intentionally throwing at players. And for the eight-game suspension, when he did not even make contact with a batter, where we look at some other instances where players have gotten less for actually intentionally throwing at a batter and actually intentionally hitting a batter. And it's just the, the players' reactions from across the league were uh, very much critical because one of the most <laughs> – one of the funniest things I've seen a lot of people saying is Joe Kelly – has been suspended more games than the entire Astros players as a collective whole for the cheating scandal, which kind of doesn't sound right when you really think about it. But, guys, what do you make of Joe Kelly's suspension and everything that's happened here? I mean, if you look at the actual number itself, the eight games that he got suspended for, if you actually equate that on a full season slate, that's a 22-game suspension right there. I think the only other highest uh, higher – suspension total actually came from pete rose for 30 games and we yep. all know the story behind that why and i won't even go into that for your sake but i think it's so ironic that again he didn't hit anybody this was all based on his prior experience potentially throwing at guys and also the fact that joe kelly wasn't even on the dodgers team in 2017 i think yeah. that is absolutely the funniest thing out of all of this uh and even more ironic he was on the red sox during that time which 
you know, we saw last year the Red Sox possibly had some involvement in cheating as well. So Joe Kelly really is the type of guy that just doesn't care what you think. Um, really the kind of guy that doesn't really, you know, care that eight games are now off of his off of his season. Let's be honest, they'll probably have eight games taken off the season no matter what, just for COVID reasons. So not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things for him anyway. But I love it. I mean, this is the kind of guy you want, um, you know, the MLB kind of going after because – Nobody else was really probably going to go there. I mean, I think in the future, obviously nothing's really going to transpire um, going forward. No more pitchers will probably try to throw the Astros if it's really going to be this severe. Um, but if it was going to be anybody to have this happen to him, I love that it's Joe Kelly. I mean, he was the guy that in the offseason missed that huge net and ended up breaking one of his own windows. So if you want a testament to how wild this guy truly can be, he really does represent wild thing for Major League. So it's I, I love it all, and I think it's hilarious. And if you're the Dodgers, he's probably the perfect guy to actually commit this because because uh, you knew because the Dodgers knew going into this game that they were there was going to be a watch there was going to be a huge eye on them because they were kind of the team that was most affected by the Astros cheating. Um, the fact that it was Joe Kelly, a guy who wasn't on the team, like he said, he wasn't on the team when it happened, um, and he also doesn't care. I mean, he's kind of the perfect guy to go out and do this for the Dodgers. I mean, I don't, I, I have no idea if the, the entire Dodgers team was on board with, with his antics. But if they were, he was the perfect guy to throw out there because he would be the least assuming guy. Uh, my big issue with this whole thing is that he got suspended eight games, which is a huge suspension, especially in this shortened season. And uh, it just goes back to Rob Manfred blaming the players for COVID spreading. Uh, they don't want to enforce the actual COVID guidelines that they put in place, but they'll, they'll suspend a guy for eight games for uh, that. So uh, that's just another I don't like Rob Manfred handling things rant. But, uh, yeah, I, I, he was just the perfect guy for the Dodgers to do the do the deed. Yeah, and uh, I think the wild thing comparison is uh, pretty accurate. And I've seen, too, like as – as was mentioned, the him the video from from the offseason of him missing in his backyard and breaking one of his own windows. I saw some people after this happened uh, turning back to that and saying it was all uh, all a long plan uh, for him to try to erase the uh, idea that put enough doubt in the people that he just has control issues. Um, I don't buy that, but that's still a funny joke. But yeah, I mean, I get the whole reasoning of you know he's got a past. Sure, fine, whatever, you know, but eight games like can we truly say whether or not he intentionally threw at Bregman or Correa we don't know if you can't say definitively he did nor can you say definitively that he didn't um and we you know we know the dangers of throwing you know fastballs at people at throwing fastballs at people's heads you know that we, we can't condone that but at the same time you know like you guys mentioned Kelly was kind of the perfect guy for this to happen as the for the reasons you mentioned because he's got that don't care attitude he's got that i'm gonna do what i want to do mindset and he kind of just took things and matters into his own hands whether or not he just in the spur of the moment was like you know what screw it let's do this or if it just the balls actually did slip out of his hands and this just kind of happened and he saw an opportunity to maybe have these words and may say his piece and you know he took advantage of it regardless Eight games does feel harsh, especially like you mentioned, Bradley. When you when you put this into perspective and you kind of uh, ration it out, yeah, this is the equivalent to 22 games, which doesn't feel right, especially when he didn't hit anybody. I'm not saying he shouldn't have got suspended. He should have been suspended. All right, maybe three, maybe four games. Sure, I could see that. All right, you could give him three or four games, and I could have been fine with that. And I think most people probably would have accepted that and moved on for the most part. But eight games for to suspend him for over a full calendar week's worth of games feels excessive for not actually hitting someone when we can't even definitively say that he did intentionally throw at these batters and and when you take things into account that he wasn't even on the Dodgers team so it's not like he's got a particular grudge per se other than just like I think these guys did something wrong and they should pay for it and we also have to keep in mind again as I mentioned he's now been suspended for more games than every single Astros player got collectively for cheating which was a grand total of zero mind you um 
which again just feels wrong in every sense of the word. So this again it just feels like yet another bungling of a situation by Rob Manfred because it's almost like there's a double standard here. We're not going to punish the players for cheating, but when the players try to take matters into their own hands, we're going to punish them more than we punish the guys who cheated. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it this way, the MLB finally decided to actually step up and do something, and of course they still messed it up. It's just it literally one thing after the next, no matter if they try to do something or if they just sit back and don't do anything, it seems like no matter what has happened, it's gone wrong for the league. Now, it is interesting because if you look at uh, the eight-game suspension, like you said, why he didn't hit anybody. That now means going forward, if anybody does hit the Astros on purpose, you're already guaranteed, we would think, an eight-game suspension. So you're already talking potentially like a 10 or 11-game suspension for someone that truly does go after them, and that's going to equate to, what, 30, 35 games as it is? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And, I mean, granted, if, if, it, if it was the Dodgers basically saying, Joe, you're going to be our scapegoat. Go out there and hit as many guys as you want. You're a wild guy as it is. Maybe you'll get away with it. Um, if that was true with the case, I mean, kudos to the Dodgers for thinking that far into it. But going forward, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if someone really does go after them. I mean, you're going to have a guy literally gone for potentially a fifth of the year. Yeah, so this is definitely an interesting situation. You know, again, and like you said, baseball now with the suspension has kind of set a precedent. And, you know, it's almost like they're setting the wrong precedent. And it's just yet another opportunity to kind of set a precedent and they and they fail. Because you look back to when the punishments were originally doled out to the Astros. We'd never seen anything like this before. And I've been, I've been very much in this mindset ever from the beginning with it that, you know, the people who were saying they should have lost their World Series title, I think that's too much. You know, that I don't believe in vacating titles like that. Whether you want it truthfully or not, whatever, you want it. You can't truly give it to the, to the second place team because we don't know whether if things were fair, they would have won it anyway. And I think that Astros team fairly could have still won that World Series and probably would have. But the fact of the matter is we just don't know. But what you can do is punish them enough that you set a precedent. That's why you don't see players gambling on baseball anymore. Because when baseball had a chance to set a precedent with a guy like Pete Rose, they did it. And they did so in a fashion that people went, oh, I'll get banned for life? They'll ban Pete Rose for life? Nah, I'm not going to do this then. And that's why I'm adamant that we ban steroid users. That's why I'm adamant that the, the Astros, for every season that we confirmed that they actually did cheat and use this, that's however many seasons they're banned from the postseason. Any players we know benefited from this and actually participated, they're all suspended. And the links of the suspensions, I don't know, whatever, but they should have gotten something. The, no players were even fined, let alone suspended. You had an opportunity to put the hammer down and make sure that this doesn't happen again. But what you did was a slight slap on the wrist, and now teams can look at it and say, oh, we can do this, get a free World Series, and like what, we might lose a coach? Okay, and then what, somebody's going to throw at us and then they get suspended and our players don't? Why wouldn't we do this? Yeah, it's a terrible precedent to set, uh, and I'm, I'm glad we all agree with this. I mean, it's, it seemed like universally around the league this was a pretty pretty widely accepted uh, scenario that we just all knew the MLB really butchered this. Uh, eight games was entirely way too much for someone. I mean, four maybe, I could see that. Like, maybe five. He's a reliever. Yeah. He's, he's playing a lot. So um, I really don't think this was the right move. Um, but I'm curious – what y'all think of these seven inning doubleheaders? Uh, because I know we'd all agree with this, but yes. I've got I've I've been going back and forth with these doubleheader things so like since the day that it started. I'm really curious what you guys think about this. So uh, my opinion on the doubleheaders is it's fine. I'm not really for or against it. I mean, for the shortened season, especially with all the teams that have already missed games, like the Marlins haven't played in a full week, pretty much. Uh, they're gonna have to make up all of these games, and there's only so much time. Uh, in this short shortened season that they can make them up so you're going to have to do double headers and it's to save pitching uh, save some players some get, get some players some extra rest because they're going to be playing a lot of double headers to make up for these games that are missed and it, it, it's just going to be for it, it's also building for the future because if any other team gets an outbreak they can just make up the games in double headers uh, so it makes sense minor league baseball has been doing seven inning double headers for a while now um it's fine. Not for or against it, really. Yeah, to me, this is, and I know this was kind of something that got said a lot last week when we were talking about the new rules for this year, is this is another one of those that I'm okay with it for this year, but not moving forward. 
because, like you mentioned, Josh, it you know it's it's a big thing. It makes it easier to get these games in, especially as we've seen these COVID scares games getting canceled. It's just easier to try to make up as many of those games as possible, get these teams caught up in terms of number of games played. And for player safety, too, I mean, we're already seeing so many, especially pitchers, having injuries and arm injuries because they're just not used to getting thrown into it this quick because normally you can kind of ease into a season and then, you know, start getting these guys reps, slowly increasing their innings and pitch counts and and whatnot so that you can kind of build it up as opposed to just throwing them all out there into the fire. But this year, you're kind of starting the season already in the midst of the playoff race because it's so short and it is that sprint not that marathon that you're used to and we're starting to see more and more injuries because of that because these guys didn't have the time they normally would have to just kind of get their bodies fully ready for a full grind season and especially pitchers with these arm injuries so this makes it easier for the pitchers kind of takes a load off of them as well especially for those teams that are trying to catch up in games played um, but moving forward, once you get back into a normal set of things, when we don't have all of this going on and you can play more of a full game set, more of a full 162 season, once things get back to normal and we're past this season, I think you go back to the normal nine inning double headers because that's just a baseball game is meant to be nine innings. You're the you're in the pros. I think you got to go out there and play the full nine. But for this season, given all the extraneous circumstances and everything surrounding this season and all of the weird embrace the weird this year and then we can get back to normal yeah i like what you said i mean i think it's if it was a normal season yes nine and nine is totally doable i mean you got enough arms you got enough players um you got enough fans that are willing to sit through 18 innings of baseball it's doable uh but nowadays you know with this whole you know adjustment players had to make uh you've already seen some guys go down with injury early on you got to think if you play more games in a shorter time span that's only going to just continue so I think from protecting the player's standpoint from a health reason and also just an injury reason, it's smart. Uh, but yeah, I mean, going forward, I would not want this. I would not want this to carry forward into um, something in a 162 game season. I think that's a little ridiculous. Um, you know, I know some relievers. Adam Adovino was saying it's going to be weird. He doesn't want to be deemed like not really that um, needed anymore. Um, so I think for the short term, this is a good fix. It allows you to get more games in in a shorter period of time. Going forward, I would definitely not want to see this in another season. So definitely a one-time thing. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too if you get a, a doubleheader scenario where it's only seven innings and somebody's taking a no-hitter or a perfect game. It makes it easier to try and complete one of those, but it's going to have an asterisk by it for the rest of rest of time. So there's there's a lot of uh, other things to think about too with it. But uh, regardless, it, you know, it's it's certainly going to make things very interesting um, moving forward because. Now you get to see a walk-off potentially in in the bottom of the seventh, which you never would have been able to see before. Um, This extra innings rule, if they they go into extras, I think that would apply too. So, like, you could see that runner starting on second base in the eighth inning as opposed to the tenth now. So that could be really weird to see as well. So there's a lot of weirdness. But, again, it's 2020. Let's embrace the weird, and then we can get back to normal. and real quick, let's go ahead and wrap this up here. We're about a week, uh, just over a week into the season now. Um, still a lot of baseball left to be played, even though it is a little bit of a sprint, only 60 games. There's still still quite a bit of time left. So we're starting to see still, though, some things starting to take shape, uh, some players that are standing out, perhaps some teams that are surprisingly standing out, for better or for worse, guys. So um, team and or player, what do you, what do you think uh, has been some of your big standouts, notables, um, biggest surprises and or disappointments uh, moving uh, so far in this first week or so. Uh, what do you think, guys? Well, I got two things. I got two things, and uh, mostly the first one is just the standings. I know it's very, it's still very early, I mean, early in the standings, but it seems like every team is pretty even right now. I mean, other than the NL East, which I'm not going to count because it's just chaotic over there. Only two teams have really been playing baseball recently in the NL East, uh, but uh, besides like the Yankees who are six and one, uh, every other division's pretty close. I'm a little surprised by the Cubs being six and two so far. Uh, surprised by Christian Yelich not having a great start. A lot of star players actually are not having a great start so far, and I'm not sure if that's just because there was no real buildup to the season to get re- get prepared, you know. Uh, but I mean, mo- mostly it looks like it's very competitive so far. But like I said, it's, we're only like 10 games or something into the season. Uh, my surprise player so far is uh, Mike Yastrzemski. Uh, he's been 
balling out so far. I mean, he's got a 400 batting average currently. Uh, he, he's been walked 11 times. He leads the league in walks, runs, uh, on-base percentage, OPS+. plus. I mean, he's been having a great start to his season so far. So uh, he's my shout-out for the week. Yeah, I, Josh, I really do agree with you. I think they're outside of maybe a couple teams that we see, like Baltimore at 5-3. and three. Um, You see, like you said, with the um, – uh, the Cubs at six and two, the Twins. I think we thought we were going to be good at seven and two. Um, not really a ton of surprises. I will say one of the teams that I was uh, initially high on that I definitely had some second thoughts about as as the days went on after our initial show was the Padres. I, I really thought the Padres could be out for a breakout season, but I didn't want to make it seem like I was you know hoping for too much too soon. But honestly, I mean, even at what are they right now? They're six and four. Uh, I've been impressed. I mean, they were. Leading the league early on, uh, the very first couple days of the season, uh, now base percentage steals, uh, guys like Profar, Tommy Pham, uh, Fernando Tatis, just really stepping it up, and you know, kind of just an under the radar team that we knew might make some noise. Uh, the pitching staff's been really decent as well. So even at six and four, I like what the Padres are putting together. And then on the flip side, also the White Sox. I know these were two teams we really thought were going to be, um, you know, very young but with very high potential. Uh, they just brought up Nick Madrigal um, just a couple days ago. I saw him play a lot of Oregon State. Great, great player. I think he was one of the top players nationally for like three years. Uh, they brought him up. He went 0 for 8 in his first two games, but had four hits the other night and a walk off. So. That is one player. I mean, I know the White Sox are filled with young talent, but those are the kind of guys going forward that are really going to make or break their season. Um, and in a really balanced AL Central right now, with teams like the Twins at seven and two, the Indians with a tremendous staff at five and five, um, they're going to need guys like that that really step up going forward. So, um, not a ton of surprises, but definitely some some key young standouts. Yeah, and uh, to kind of build off of that one, Bradley too, we're seeing with the White Sox as well. Luis uh, Robert for for them, he's he's been uh, playing very well uh, uh, too. Another one of their top young guys uh, that that they had uh, for this year. So um, there's some good stuff brewing out there in Chicago, and uh, we could really see them uh, moving forward. But yeah, like you mentioned, you know these these standings are really uh, really tight. You know, um, if you told me. Uh, back in like March that the Orioles would be in second place at the beginning of August. I would have looked at you and told you you were crazy. Um, but that's just the season we're in, you know, and, and like Josh mentioned too, like the Marlins still currently sit at second place in the NL East, even though they've only played three games. Um, but it works on the flip side because the Phillies are second to last in that division at one and two. They've also only played three games. So... You know, it, it's it's these weird things that we're seeing this year, the quirks. Um, one standout for me, and it's totally a homer shout-out, but Sonny Gray for the Reds um, has been lights out this year. 20 strikeouts so far, um, picking up 2-0, and o, uh, a record at 071 ERA right now. I mean, he's absolutely tearing it up and showing why he got that ace nod this year over guys like Trevor Bauer and Castillo in that, in that rotation. Uh, and, you know, I, I know the breakout year he had coming to Cincinnati from New York after the struggles he had with the Yankees. And I know that was a surprise. I did not expect him, honestly, to keep it up to the same extent this year. But it seems like, at least through his first two games this first week, he is not just keeping it up, but actually taking it up a notch and really showing that he could win that Cy Young in the National League this year if he keeps this up. Um, so it looks like I picked the wrong red last week uh, for my Cy Young prediction, uh, potentially. And another shout-out to Shane Bieber, uh, who I did pick for the Cy Young for the Indians, though. He is tearing it up over there as well. Didn't he have, like, 14 strikeouts, I think, in one of the games this past week or something like that? Like, he is absolutely dominating. Um in the American League as well, so uh, he currently leads the leads the whole league in strikeouts yeah. with twenty seven. Yeah, and I mean, look at you look at that staff in general. You got Bieber, Carrasco, and uh, Clevenger, and this is coming off a team that let go of Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer in just years past. So you want to talk about young talent stepping up? Bieber's like twenty five, young guy. I think he set the franchise record for strikeouts in a in a um, in a season debut. Um, so if they can keep that up, like that's a three-headed monster right there that could single-handedly win him a division. For real. And and another thing I just noticed too with Shane Bieber, he's only got one walk on the season to those uh, 27 strikeouts. So his strikeout-to-walk ratio is a perfect 27, which is insane. Um, 
it's not surprisingly good enough for best in the league. So uh, it's crazy. And I got to give a shout out to the Tigers. They've really been pissing me off here this past week because they've been playing the Reds a lot and the Reds have been dropping the ball against them a lot. Uh, literally, as Castellanos gave up a three-run error on a routine fly ball in game one of the doubleheader today. So, uh, yeah, the Tigers are actually playing surprisingly well for a team that um, last year was literally the worst in baseball and uh, is so thankful that baseball doesn't have promotion or relegation like soccer. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it, hey, the Tigers, they're currently uh, tied for second place in that uh, stacked AL Central or that very tight AL Central. So we'll see if they can keep that kind of stuff up as well. So we're seeing, we're starting to see at least through this first week, some of these teams that normally we'd say don't stand a chance that all they got to do is just get a little hot and maybe they can sneak their way into a playoff spot that they normally wouldn't have gotten. So, you know, shout out to the Orioles, Tigers, uh, Marlins, potentially, even if they can stay true to that, uh, as we move forward. Um, like we said, 2020, it's weird. Let's embrace it. Yeah, and Wyatt, I know the Reds have obviously won your heart over in the last you know, couple months or so leading into the season, and Sonny Gray obviously off to a great start. Um, but I did see today that uh, Tyler Alexander for the uh, Tigers tied the AL record with nine straight strikeouts against the Reds. So a uh, little, little tough three-inning stretch there for y'all. I know that uh, definitely was not something you were super proud of. <laughs> hey, man, that was – a masterful pitching performance, however, struck out literally every player in that stack lineup. So good for him. Um, but the Reds picked up the W, so that's all that really matters. Uh, I'll take the W with the nine strikeouts any day of the week. But yeah, uh, the Reds also a little bit of a disappointment for me to start this season um, after the the big off season they had. But uh, again, it's only a weekend. They can still turn it around. Uh, got the win earlier today in game one of the doubleheader. I'm not quite sure how they're doing game two so far, but uh, last I checked, they were winning. Um, but uh, still, the important thing, though, is for the teams that are struggling here at the beginning, yeah, we're only about a week or so into the season, but we must remember, as short of a season as it is, you're running out of time to start to pick it up and turn it around. Yeah, you got to act fast. I mean, teams like, you know, Boston at three and six. I mean, the Rays are, I think, like three and five or three and six right now. Um, you don't have a lot of time to spare. It's it's series by series, and you truly do have to go out and take two out of three, take three out of four. You know, you cannot be slipping up for a couple weeks at a time. And if the injury bug hits you, you might be left uh, sitting on the couch in October. So, um, I know the Pirates are. At, Two and seven right now. Shout out to Colin Moran. He's got five home runs leading the uh, MLB right now in, in Jacks. So really the only shining face of that franchise right now. But, um, yeah, man, it's it's quick. It's awesome. It makes games more important, but it really can leave you leave you hanging your head if you let two series slip. Pretty much. I mean, you got you to look at it this way. Majority of teams have played ten games so far. That's one-sixth of the way through the season. And uh, if you're five games behind, then – you kind of need to pick it up. It's not impossible, but it's not looking great. Yeah, with with every week that goes by, your your situation gets worse because you have a bad first week, that's one thing. You have a second bad week, it's going to be a lot more difficult to climb out of that hole this year than it normally would be. And that third bad week almost assuredly puts that nail in your coffin. Uh, and... In a season like this, you know, three bad weeks could be all it takes to ruin your season, whereas three bad weeks normally is like whatever in a normal season. So a lot of weird, but again, like we've said a lot, let's embrace the weird. And uh, that, guys, is all we have for today's episode. So uh, any final thoughts here We uh, from you guys? It's been great having you on and, and talking some baseball with you guys. Not a whole lot for me. I mean, it's it's weird seeing the Yankees and uh, Red Sox uh, playing again. I mean, I'm – I'm sure no matter how much the MLB uh, commercial-wise, like you were saying, Josh, uh, lets the ball drop, they will continuously force that down our throats that the Yankees and Red Sox are playing tonight. So <laughs> that's all I've got. That's just that, that's ESPN just in general. Um, my final thought, I mean, I just still – shout out to Mike Trout, I suppose. He, he just had a son. I guess that will be my, <laughs> my final yeah. thought. With the uh, Beckham, uh, his name's Beckham, his initials are B-A-T, which is bat, as in baseball bat, guys. So we got a little baby goat out there. He already has a baseball reference yes. page. The baby goat, I'm sure he'll be playing in like 18 years. It'll be yeah. fine. Yeah, no pressure there at all, right? 
No, none at all. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and call it right now. We've only seen it once, the Griffies with the father-son back-to-back homers. Calling it now. The next time it happens, it's going to be Mike and Beckham Trout. I love it. Uh, Beckham Trout's a sick name, by the way. I would absolutely see that and buy that on a, on a baseball card. That is a fantastic Also, name. i got to wait like 18, 19 years to see if this prediction's accurate. But you know what? I, I'm more than willing because if this does happen, I'm pulling, this, I'm pulling these tapes back. <laughs> And saying I'm the uh, I'll, I'll and saying it. I'm the first to call it, so uh, I'm putting that out there into the universe now. Uh, but guys, thanks for being on the show, Bradley and Josh. It's always a pleasure having you guys on, and uh, thanks to all of you beautiful people out there who who uh, decided to let us uh, soothe your ears with our our voices and our our uh, weird and terrible at times sports opinions. Uh, thanks for listening and tuning in, and we will be back next week with yet another episode of the Triple Play Podcast. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and enjoy some baseball.